slip it in. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number seven of the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. Make sure to check us and other amazing content creators out at listenfrederick.com. We have a great show for you today, recapping the intense and dramatic two-hole playoff in the snake pit to crown a victor at the Valspar Championship. We'll recap our picks from this past week, and as you may know, the big players did it again. Another winning pick on the podcast. We'll see who it was shortly. We'll jump into the WGC Dell Technologies match play this week, a fun alternate scoring format event showcasing an incredible field of golfers. Absolute top-notch talent this week in Austin, Texas. Some big news on the topic of the Saudi Golf League as we now have an official schedule. That's right, eight events across the world. Something we thought was just a PR stunt in the months and years prior is really taking shape. We'll get more on that shortly. Then to close out the podcast, we'll cover some of the big players' favorite alternate scoring formats on the course. As we enter the week of the Dell match play, what do the big players do on the course to keep the scoring fun, competitive, and lighthearted? Hey, if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at BigPlayersOnlyPod. Our story is always up to date with the breaking news in the world of golf, and our posts are really ramping up as we get into the heart of this PGA Tour season. Thanks for being here, and let's have a great episode. Quite a week this week at the Valspar Championship. Sam Burns takes on the title with a birdie on the second playoff hole, the famous 16th hole at the start of the snake pit, draining a 30-footer to outlast Davis Riley. Sam is actually the third correct pick of the season for the big players. Quite a quite a pick this week. Golf clap, golf clap. And for all of you wondering, Ben was the correct pick. He was the one who picked Sam wow, Burns. Wow. Ben, ben Talking in the third person. Back to back. Already. The waking vision finally comes true. I guess I'm like Gandhi. I don't know. Did Gandhi have a lot of waking visions? Yes. When he was starving. <laughs> I so don't Sam, think he was starving, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't eat much this week. Stressing out that victory. So Sam becomes the second person of this event to win back-to-back titles, joining Paul Casey, who won in 2019 and 2020. Sam sequentially then winning in 21 and 22. So back-to-back winners in the last four years. He takes home the first place prize of $1.4 million and then ascends to the top 10 in the world, number 10 that is, and number two in the FedEx Cup, just behind big player faithful and our other winner this year multiple times, Scotty Scheffler. Sam Burns joins Patrick Cantlay as the only other player with three wins over the past 12 months. Pretty impressive stuff. For uh, a week that doesn't usually have uh, a very exciting following, uh, it certainly proved to be a lot of fun to watch this tournament. The playoff was exciting, and the golf on Sunday in the snake pit was great. Notable names in the hunt on this weekend were Justin Thomas, Xander Schauffele, Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sahith Thegala, and Adam Hadwin. Just a lot of fun to watch this Sunday. Uh, a lot of players at the top crumbling and a lot of uh, really talented pursuers. So let's kick it around to the group today and see, uh, see what they thought about this weekend. Yeah, one thing I thought was interesting, um, you hear a guy like Sam Burns and golf fans like us, we know who he is. Probably the casual guy might not know him as much. He just hasn't done it as much as they have. But the question that I had, just from my perspective, is who is Davis Riley? He came in second. He got to the playoff against Sam. Um, and I just, honestly, I'd never even heard of him before this tournament. New face to me, and I watch a lot of golf. Just a little background on Davis. He's a 25-year-old golfer. He turned pro in 2019. Uh, played his college golf at the University of Alabama, so you know he's got to be pretty good if you're getting into Alabama to play. 
when what was really surprising to me, the fact that I hadn't heard of him before, is he actually entered his junior year in the 2017 and 18 season at Bama as the top collegiate golfer in the nation by Golf Week. That's crazy. Yeah, a guy I've never heard of was coming into the top, yeah, number one spot in college. So it's like you think you'd be seeing him oh, Gatorade commercials. I don't know, but and not to even hear of him till he's 25 is pretty surprising to me. That's impressive. There's a lot of names we probably know that were playing in college in 2017 and 2018, and that's one none of us knew. Yeah, and we also heard multiple times on the broadcast, I think it was Davis Riley was number two ranked amateur to Sam Burns at one point in time. So Davis definitely used to finishing second to Sam Burns. So just par for the course for him this week. Yeah, quite a lengthy relationship between the two. They're, they're both 25, so they've played it together. Uh, in the interview after the round, Davis Riley was talking about his first memory with Sam playing competitively was about 12 years old playing in AJGA. So they've known each other for a long time. I guess uh, Sam's probably been getting the better of Davis for a little bit, but hey, I think Davis is here to stay. Yeah, a little bit of his history on tour so far. He had one top 10 career finish uh, prior to the Vals Bar. That was in October of 2021 at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. And he's actually made uh, 14 of 25 cuts in his career. And a uh, big math guy, so that comes out to uh, 56%. So Math checks. Math checks, thank God, because I kind of did that one quick. That's pretty impressive. I mean, these guys, when they start their career, it's definitely like a rocky road, um, not a Butterfield um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know he's really he's really showing the stuff. I mean, fourteen of twenty five cuts is pretty impressive. Um, and then to see him in contention, um, really impressed with the stuff. I gotta yeah. say, he's got to have one of the prettiest swings that were out there this weekend. Like, it looks like Alabama's just churning out just beautiful swings between him and JT. Like it was unbelievable. So hats off to him. I mean, he fires a what sixty two on Saturday to give himself the fifty four hole lead or something like that. Twenty putts. So he's got to sleep on a lead overnight. Comes out, makes an absolute mess of what the fourth or fifth hole, makes a triple bogey, and then kind of settles down. Like you could really see him kind of come into his own after that and and finish strong. Hit a lot of quality shots towards the end to, to keep himself in contention. So pretty impressive after kind of folding pretty early on in the round. I think whenever, I guess myself, or anytime I see someone struggle early in the round, I remember I remind myself of Brant Snedeker playing in the Winden Championship uh, like five or six years ago. He bogeys the first hole and then shoots 59. And you saw Davis really screw his head on tight. Played incredible. Birdieing that 17th hole, that 200-some yard par three into the wind. I mean, that was just, the, the guys really got some game. Yeah, it almost relieved a little bit of pressure, I think. I mean, I think the last month or so, we've seen guys really struggle playing with a lead. So getting that early early struggle and a triple bogey dropping a lot of strokes he could cut and just play his game the rest of the way and then have to go out there and play scared and he could just kind of start playing more aggressive and settle in a little bit yeah i think he looked really solid in the playoff not quite good enough to outlast sam but uh colin's got some good points here about you know what it's like to play in a playoff and, and how hard it is to win on tour i kept thinking that this tournament was a prime example of how you have two young relatively unknown players getting hot in rounds two and three but when you look at the leaderboard on Sunday morning, you see Sam Burns and Justin Thomas kind of lurking there two strokes back, and you got to think that it's going to come down to one of those two guys. Dub said you had Davis Riley firing off a 9-under 62 in round three to take the lead. So he had a two-stroke lead, but um, at the end of the day, Sam Burns catches him and comes out on top. And honestly, the coverage towards the end, I felt like it was mainly focused on Burns and Thomas because everyone kind of knew that it was going to come down to one of them. I don't know what you guys thought about that. It was 100%. Like, I mean, they're obviously the recognizable names, you know, they they were really hoping that either JT or Burns would pull that out. And it would, they, ideally, they were definitely looking for that playoff to be JT and Burns, not Riley. And then JT had a chance to get in that playoff, and so did Matt Nesmith, the other guy that was leading or in the lead after two and three rounds. Um, both those guys had 
you know, JT hit it in that bunker on 18 and couldn't quite get up. You know, he needed to jar his third shot from like 80 yards. But Nesmith had a putt, so we could have easily, easily seen a four-way playoff. That would have been crazy. Yeah, I think Azinger said at one point that winning on the tour comes down to making clutch putts, and we just saw Burns hit more clutch putts than than Riley did in the end. I mean, he obviously hooped that one in the playoff off the fringe. But, I mean, you think about those five-footers for par that he was hitting in the last five holes and then that what 10-foot slider that he put in for bogey on 17 really played him into the playoff. Burns was definitely channeling a little Kenny one putt out there for sure. I like the uh, format of the playoff where they, they went 18 to 16, right? And they would, then the next one would have been back to 18. I think they were going to go 17. 18 and then 16. So they were going to go 18 and then play the whole snake pit. Yeah, which is cool, I think. Because like, I don't when a lot of tournaments just repeat the 18th hole every single time, right? Yeah. I think a it's cool to bring some cool. variety and especially when you have the snake pit so close and like that that 16, it started to seem, it's, it seemed like the perfect second playoff hole when it's that approach was like so critical and the, and the commentary was basically like they're just going to they're just going to go for it. Like they usually wouldn't, but they just went right for it. And that's, and that's classically the hardest hole in the golf course. And yeah. I'll give Riley uh, tons of props. I mean, he hit his driver so well at the end of regulation and in that playoff, he like didn't miss a fairway. It was incredibly impressive. Um, I mean, he hits it decently long, but to play like the, the 30 yard fade that he played on 16 with confidence, knowing there's water, right? I think that's just a lot in his game. He's, he's definitely around to stay. JT obviously had some costly holes down the stretch, but I think at the end it was Burns' experience both at this course and just winning on tour that was able to get him in the right mindset and pull it out. I mean, we've seen it a few times this year already. We have the likes of Cameron Young playing well at Riv, Taylor Gooch at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and Tagala at the Waste Management, all with uh, leads heading into the final round, and then someone with just more experience and someone who's won before catches them in the end. Yeah, another really interesting thing I heard Azinger talking about, which I'm not a big fan of the guy as one of the, the color, color commentators, but early in the final round, he said something like, you know, it's such a different approach for guys like Burns and Thomas, who are elite golfers. They approach a tournament, and they're planning to be there four days, so they're kind of spread out. They know they can play bad and still make a cut. A guy like Davis Riley comes here. He's planning for two days. He's leaving it all out there after day two just to make the cut. So he finds himself making the cut, and then plays out of his mind is in, in contention. I mean, it's such a different approach because you come in on Sunday like, well, I don't know what to do now because I only came here hoping to make the cut, and now I'm in contention. It's just it's a whole different ball game with these guys who don't have the experience of being there on Sunday playing in the final rounds. Well, they kept they kept phrasing it like their champion golfers aim to peak on on the weekend. I guess like I, I guess I've I know they talk about it sometimes, but I feel like they were definitely talking about that narrative wise a lot with this, like the point that they were pushing the Burns and JT narrative versus the uh, kind of some of the newcomers. Like the idea of peaking on Sunday is that is that you think that's something that the players like consciously they really consciously do like uh, tournaments like this. Well, I think the number always tends to kind of come back to the field. So if if the lead is ten under after two rounds, which I think it was something like that here. A guy that's three, four, five under, it's so well in it, especially if they're experienced and know that the guys at the top are probably going to have a little bit of a tough time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Saturday is classically known as moving day. I think that's when you're really wanting to peak. And then these guys who are always in contention, if you play really well Sunday, you're going to win if you you know play solid rounds. And so you peak on Saturday, put yourself in contention. If you go out and get hot on a Sunday, it's a good chance of putting yourself in, in a chance to win the tournament. And I'll make one last comment on this, Colin. You're talking about putting and how key it is. And so I watched Sam really intently, intensely over the final round, and he was putting amazingly. I mean, his putt on 17 to make bogey after he had kind of just thrown the hole away, putting it in the bunker, and then leaving it on the fringe and chipping it eight or nine feet by. Uh, but he was making everything or burning the edges, 
And when I saw Davis Riley have a putt on 18 inside 20 feet to win, and it missed by like about a half a cup right, I kind of knew that that's where his nerves were getting him. And Sam, even when Sam missed his putt on 18 for birdie, and, and then he missed the birdie putt on 18 in the playoff hole, I mean, these things are just like one grain of grass away from curling in. Yeah, you could tell he expected to make those. Very much so. Nice. Well, I think another thing we noticed this week was that uh, the crowds weren't too deep and uh, the viewership, I mean, we loved watching it on TV, but you could definitely notice that on the course, I mean, they're definitely competing with March Madness, so it's a tough week, but Tully and Josh, what are your thoughts about the crowds? Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of like taken aback almost. Like you saw some like marquee matchups. I think it was, I mean, I think it was Saturday. Yeah, it was Colin Morikow and Dustin Johnson. They're off early, but you know, those two of the top 10 golfers at the time, I realized DJ is now uh, falling out for the first time in like 14 years or something like that. But uh, like it was the huge names and there was nobody out there watching and it just kind of like caught me off guard. And even in that case with March Madness, it's way before the games even started when they were out is I'll be honest. I didn't watch all this tournament because of March Madness. I was out watching, you know, at the bars at people's houses, whatever. And, you know, I was just really shocked that, you know, nobody was out there and it kind of made me feel like maybe this is one of those tournaments that needs to kind of try something new. It's had a history of struggling to keep a sponsor. I think they started in 2000 and they've gone through at least four different sponsors and Valspar originally was their deal. I think was only through 2020, but with all the COVID stuff, I think it just kind of got extended a little bit, not necessarily permanently. So I'm not even sure Valspar is locked in for beyond this year, but it's, it feels like they, they're going to have to try to do something maybe a little bit different. I mean, you saw they were kind of embracing all, like, the different, like, bold color patterns. You know, they had the paint can tee markers. They had, like, really cool, like, backdrops behind the tees. All the signs were just, like, brightly colored. It feels like, you know, maybe this is a tournament we should really encourage, you know, players to wear, like, really bold outfits. Like, we know, like, Grayson's out there doing some crazy stuff. He got robot. He got all these different companies that, you know, have that. You Fucking John Daly with his loudmouth golf and the ridiculous pants. It, it feels like maybe this is an opportunity for some of those interesting ideas. And Any thoughts there, guys? And maybe, too, with the caddies, because I noticed this week, and you don't ever see it, is the caddies had, like, the nicknames for their golfers on the back, which I thought was really great. Like, El Turco for Abraham Answer was really cool to see. Uh, Dub, I don't know who. We couldn't figure out who that was, <laughs> Dub, but we will. But, yeah, I mean, even just, like, caddy bibs that are just, like, that blue and red colors that they were using throughout the tournament, I would love to see that. Yeah, I mean, after the players last week, with that being so exciting, I mean, a tournament like the Valspar, granted, it was a playoff, so it was mildly exciting, but unless you're an avid golfer, I mean, people would probably watch actual Valspar paint dry than watch this tournament. (laughs) So I'd love to see them, you know, play around with coverage a little bit more. I think there was a sequence where we saw JT and Bones, his caddy, going back and forth, like talking about what shot to hit, how to play it towards the end. And, And I love hearing things like that versus just the color commentators just talking droning on and on and on about golf and and to hear kind of inside the ropes behind golf a little bit more would be really cool and and another thing that i've seen more and more is they're starting to talk a lot more about the betting very much during the broadcast graphics normally it's just outright winners but i remember seeing them them panning to burns and thomas warming up kind of near each other and they they put up a prop bet of who's going to win just within this group and then the announcers kind of talked about who they thought had the edge based on how they were playing. It was it was just a whole unique aspect to watching golf that typically we've never really seen. So it's it's cool to see the broadcast kind of embrace sports betting and how big that's becoming. I think a lot of this one is like, even though the snake pit is pretty iconic, I think this course in general is just a little less iconic than all the stuff that's stacked up against it the last few weeks. 
Um, like we have the players and the masters coming up and it's like there, this course is like relatively flat. There wasn't, there's not a ton of, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on this course, but you know, it just is a little less interesting, I think, than a lot of the ones that were, you know, that were, we've seen recently with Riv and uh, TPC Sawgrass and the masters coming up. So I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I think they have to like double down on stuff like betting and the fan experience because the course is the course, right? Yeah. So, and not every course has to be like the most crazy course on tour, but you know. What are your no, thoughts on like having a, a, a similar to the 16th of Waste Manager where just there's a hole where everyone just goes fucking like fully crazy, but with the whole paint company thing, they, they, they do it. No, they do it more like you, know, <laughs> you have those like color runs sort there's of shit paint. where they just like everyone just wears white and then they're just color everywhere and they're just like they should double shit. down. They just do something like that where on the on a par three where there's just a ridiculous shot or something like it just the whole fucking thing goes crazy and there's just paint whatever just splattering everyone or something, something just that's completely crazy. And right now, like it's right around like your spring break time. There's a bunch of college kids down there in Florida, in Florida. Exactly. You know, you could definitely get a crowd there if you make that environment right. Or just like double down on the branding of it and like have certain holes, like the orange hole, the red hole, and like have people, dr- I don't know, do something. <laughs> no, I love that idea. Do like a bunch of different stuff. I maybe, don't know. Maybe the winner should get to name a paint color at Valspar. The trophy is literally paint, which I think is a little weird. It was like a, it was like a, a paintbrush paint yeah. swiping up and they're like, that's a weird thing to put on your mantle. I, I mean, think they recently, Burns got two of them now. So they just recently changed the logo. The logo looks really solid now, but the old logo is like this, like light kind of off color teal, mm-hmm. and it has like that's the only color, and it just says Valspar with a paintbrush or whatever. But their new logo looks really good, and I love that idea of like different holes, especially in the Snake Pit, being like different distinct colors on the weekend. Like looking at the fans, brighten up the experience. I love that. What if they just paint the whole hole that color <laughs> instead of green? It's just purple. <laughs> yeah, or like on a part three. Yeah, I mean, you, or, or at least the graphics, right? On TV, they could easily do that. Like when they do the slime zone stuff in the NFL, like they could easily do that kind of graphic for the. Sal's far is going to be on Nickelodeon next year. That's literally the only. <laughs> they get Nate, Nate Burleson call it out there, right? <laughs> That'd be really cool to see a graphic there where the green is like a different color and the ball is coming in like the tracers. I would love that. The shot tracers, a paintball launching out at different. Yeah, uh, yeah like a splatter on the green. Yeah, they could totally do that. Nice. Well, I think that recaps our Valspar. Let's look at our picks this week. Tyler, can we get a quick recap? Well, I know where you want me to start. <clears throat> you kind of already talked about it a little bit. How about Tyler not missing a cut this week? That's pretty crazy. That is probably the most important <laughs> thing that I see from this list. But actually, what's the second most impressive thing is that everybody made the cut from our picks. I don't think we've had that yet this year. It shouldn't be too impressive because we do make our picks from the top ten, but <laughs> it's quite an achievement, I would say. Yeah, but we got we got to give Ben his due. Great pick with Sam Burns running it back. Drake said it back to back. We get it. Uh, but that that is awesome. That's now like Ben said, the third big players pick to win it. Um, we ac- we actually had two other picks in the top five. We had Ken going with Justin Thomas and Dub going with Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, the worst finish of the group. Shut it. Double L, okay. Colin Morikawa. Going with double L, Going with double L, Tully. <laughs> and then going backwards from that, we had Colin riding his boy DJ, finished with a tie for 39th. And me going with Ken's boy, Victor Hovland, with a tie for 33rd. Ben, give us one last parting thought on your win from Sam. I know it feels, it's got to feel great. Uh, you're finally making cuts again, and you're going back to winning. What, what do you have to say about Sam? You know, when you look at stats and you plan out your pick for the week, it's really nice to see it come to fruition because I really did notice that Sam was hitting the ball incredibly at TPC Sawgrass. And on Sunday, he fell out of contention simply because he was hitting his driver all over the place. And when you hit the ball far, like he hits the ball very far, like 320, 330, you're going to have those days. Um, but he went back and worked with his coach and he drove the ball. He led the green, led the field in strokes hand off the tee. 
was driving the piss out of the ball. And I'm not surprised he brings home the victory. He did need a little help from the guys at the top, uh, but a really great week for him. And then one other comment I have about these picks is Colin Morikawa, man. I just think he's really surprising me right now because he's just a little off. I remember watching the coverage and he was on a par four. He had like 170 yards in and he was aiming probably about 15 feet left of the pin to hit a fade right to a back right pin. And he drew it like 20 feet, which 40 feet from the pin, none of us are going to be upset about that. But to see like probably what is the most iconic and premier iron player in the world to miss like that, I it just, it kind of, it, it's uneasy, but I feel like he's just kind of one thing away from just being back to his old self. Yeah, I think he's definitely off right now, just being out of position off the tee and then his irons just aren't what they should, what they usually are. Um, and then you combine that with the fact that he's not the best putter on tour. He's just he's just going to struggle a little bit, but he'll get it together here soon. Yeah. And just on JT a little bit too, I think the stats show he's playing just as well as he was when he was winning all those majors and tournaments. So I'm expecting the JT to win a major this year and kind of go on a run here. He consistently finds himself as like a top three ball striker each week, regardless of where he finishes. So pretty impressive, the consistency. Yeah, one more thing with JT. Like last week, I was saying uh, he was 67th in the field at the Valspar with this putting, but he was right up there in strokes gain with his approach and irons and everything. This year, this week, he was 23rd in uh, putting, so he improved a little bit, which is why he was in the top 10. So I, it's funny. I was literally texting you guys the whole weekend. I was like, JT's got I totally did not even know Ben had Burns. And I was like, <laughs> it's so funny. And ben, ben, ben waited to brag until it was actually a thing, which probably should have done and i was noticing with jt coming down the stretch when he was he was had to be super aggressive he was a couple strokes behind and when the wind gets up and, it, and there it was probably about 15 mile an hour all yeah. day and it kind of swirls and it just shows how hard it is when the wind gets up to hit it close because jt was hitting shots that looked really pretty in the air and all of a sudden they hit by the pin jump over the green and he's short-sided and it's just that's kind of a product of, of having to be aggressive that's the point colin's making i think burns and jt were like mad at themselves for not making really really hard shots on sunday and everyone else was just like happy to be there but still trying <laughs> hanging really on yeah but like jt like every time he like didn't he was like playing incredible golf but like every time he didn't get like that perfect shot he was like being hard on himself which is i guess why he's a world-class golfer and i fully expect jt to get into that playoff if his drive doesn't go in the bunker on 18 from 130 i, I think he stuffs it i mean if he had listened to that guy that told him to do a bump and run he probably would have won i'm just that is pretty I'm funny after the tournament we found this video where when jt hit it over the green on 16 when he was being aggressive like i was talking about he kind of short-sighted himself he had what we would probably classify as like a eight and a half nine out of ten difficulty flop shot from behind the green i mean just almost impossible for an amateur and as he walks up to his ball some drunk guy in the stands goes bump and run the greens are fast and jt kind of looks at him like are you done <laughs> i don't know i don't know you have to tell me what you guys think i think that you know jt right can kind of be a dick but when you're in the zone you kind of like are out of body experience too like he's i think he's a decent guy but uh, like we've seen Tiger be a dick a lot when he's in the zone. JT probably had a million thoughts going through his head on what kind of shot he was going to yeah. play, and that guy saying that just really set him off. I don't That's know. I, I think if he was like truly in the zone at that point, like he wouldn't even realize. Like he wouldn't even acknowledge him. Like he gave him the time of day, and I I feel like that's the just the wrong move in general for that if he's really dialed in folks. he was definitely vulnerable in that spot because he was i mean he was facing what he probably thought was like a 50 percent up and down and i mean he ends up hitting a flop shot that lands in the rough bounces three times and goes to three feet just it's just class stuff so he shouldn't have done a bump and run <laughs> he did not do the bump and run <laughs> nice all right that wraps up the valspar we'll be back in a second with the wgc dale technologies match play
right, so Wednesday through Sunday this week, a five-day event. We got the WGC Dell Technologies match play in Austin, Texas at the Austin Country Club. Billy Horschel is the defending champion. He defeated Scotty Scheffler in the championship match last year, which I actually remember watching. It was pretty good. I remember Billy had that, like, he literally topped the ball at one point in the match, but he was he was playing pretty well the whole entire time. We got eight of the top 10 in the world and 64 of the top 69 in the world, so just nice. a star-studded field. The only people we're missing are Cam Smith, Rory McIlroy, Hideki Matsuyama, Phil Mickelson, boo, and Harris English, who's still out on injury. What Phil's is wrong, wrong with Harris? He's still hurt. I don't know. He's back. Who knows? And no one likes Phil right now, Tully. So, and, and then and other news, my wife will actually be in Austin this week, which uh, she has no idea that 64 of the You're top married? golfers. <laughs> I am married. Sorry. Sorry for all the single lady listeners. Shout out to all our supportive wives for letting us be here. Yes, yeah. our wives are great. And girlfriends. However, my wife does not know that 64 of the top golfers in the world will be in Austin, and what I would do to be there is Keep it yeah. that way. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully, she hears a rumble from when when whoever I pick makes a putt on 18 to win. So, That's like cool. I said, this is a five day event. They're playing Wednesday through Sunday, and to give you a little insight in the format, so this is the Dell Technologies Match Play. There will be 16 groups of four golfers. Uh, each golfer will play each other in their group play once. So that will be the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday rounds. If you win, you'll get one point. If you tie, you'll get a half a point. And if you lose, no points. After group play, each top player from each group will advance to like a March Madness style bracket. And then in the odd instance, there's a tie in the group. They go to sudden death playoff. From there, it functions, like I said, just like the March Madness bracket, advancing with each victory. Uh, Saturday will include the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. So 36 holes on Saturday, potentially, if your matches go the distance. And then Sunday will be the semifinal and the final, along with the third-place match. So the four guys that make it to Sunday will play 36 regardless. If players take their matches to the finish line or don't close anyone out, say five and four, they're potentially playing 108-plus holes this week. So it's quite a marathon uh, and always, always proves to be a really, really fun event. We'll kick it around to the guys for what we're looking for this week. Yeah, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is the return of Bryson. Uh, we've been hearing it for the last few weeks that he was going to be coming back. We're looking at an eight-time tour winner. He's coming back from his wrist injury. He was planning to play in the Arnold Palmer, backed out of that tournament right before the start. He was then ready to go play at the Players. Again, withdrew from the tournament before it started. So I'm hoping that we can see him compete in this tournament and actually complete the pool play. What I'm worried about is that he's going to get back out here, feel a little twinge in his wrist, and then not want to finish the tournament. Um, one of the things that was very surprising to me was that he tweeted yesterday, finally swinging my driver again, time to push for the Masters. Um, to me, that's kind of a concerning statement on whether or not he's going to finish because he's finally swinging the driver. If he just feels it a little bit off, I wouldn't be surprised to see him withdraw from this tournament because you can clearly see that his focus is on the Masters. That's a really, really interesting, I guess, betting strategy, too, when you think about who's going to come out of that group. You're probably getting some pretty long odds for a guy like Dick Bland. <laughs> is, wow, Richard. what a name. Is the WGC match play an official PGA Tour sanctioned event, or is it separate? It's on the official PGA Tour site. It is on the site. I think it is. I, I think, think all the WGCs. I thought this was one of those that wasn't, and so I was kind of you know speculating that Bryson has been banned from the PGA Tour <laughs> Ooh, and is only playing here and then at the Masters. So Ooh, I have a feeling you get know. FedEx Cup points for this, which makes me you think do. it's like a sanctioned event, but or at least it's a sponsored, like a PGA co-sponsored event. But you're right. It might not be on the actual Tour Rota because they do have another a couple other events this week, so it, that's notable. Yeah. 
I hope Bryson's healthy enough to play because obviously he moves the needle every time he's on the course. Uh, I think he does have a pretty good chance to get out of his group. It's not that exciting of a group. You've got Bryson with the ranked ninth. We've got Gooch Watch, Taylor Gooch, ranked 27th. Then old man Lee Westwood, uh, 47th ranked golfer in the field. And then your boy Dick Bland, (laughs) 54-ranked golfer in the field. Um, Probably our favorite name that you could see. Um, They do call him Richard, and he's really good, actually. I mean, I saw his name was Richard, (laughs) but how are you going to see a guy named Richard Bland and not call him Dick Bland? I would love for him to just embrace that and just just full-on go by Dick. Speaking of old guys, like Dick Bland is like well into his 40s. This is like quite quite an aged group. Yeah, so it, 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 just looking at the group, the <laughs> fact that Bryson, I, I don't know what his odds are to get out of the group, but I think they've got to be pretty substantial. No, Ken, favor. he's not 54. He's ranked 54, and Bryson <laughs> Bryce is not nine, nine years old. <laughs> I am 12. Our boy Dick is sponsored by Grey Goose, though. Fun fact. Yeah, so he's a really interesting is, story. Is I, I don't mean to sidetrack too much, but like this last year on the European tour, he won, and he like ended you know the streak. on the European tour a lot? Not Louis. 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 <laughs> so when Richard Bland won like last year, he ended a streak of something like 600 tour events that he had played in without a win, ending one of the longest streaks ever by a professional. And then really he just named a dick. And now he's dick. <laughs> just my last note on Bryson. Um, he's played in this tournament twice before, but he's never made it out of pool play. Uh, so we were just talking about it's not the strongest group he's in, so maybe this third time's a charm. We can see Bryson get out there. He's too much of a head case to make it out of the group play. Match play is tough when you're inconsistent off the tee. That's absolutely huge. I notice we play in like our, our little golf league we play in. When we go to playoffs end of the season, we do match play. And if you're not driving the ball well, it's really hard to beat someone. I don't know. I'm an athlete. I can do it, Ben. I don't know. Hitting the ball a long way puts a lot of pressure on your uh, opponents to try and match what you're doing. And it's actually, it's been at this course. Is that why they call it match play? I will say that this course is a little penalizing, too, of not being accurate off the tee. You can really, like, dominate this course with distance. But I remember watching the final round with Scotty and Horschel. It's like, there's there's holes where you can really drive it up and be well inside 100 yards, have a huge advantage. But off the fairway, it's not rough. It's quite literally, like, into a ravine. What's that iconic hole? It's like a downhill par five. You see the bridge in the background, and you, you see some guys hit some like bomb and gouge kind of drives yeah. out there. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty on the back nine. Yeah. yeah. Keep an eye out for that. So there's a, there's a part five on the back nine with the, one of the more iconic bridges in Austin behind it. Actually, you'll see it on our Instagram post. It's an absolutely gorgeous setting. Awesome. So Colin, who's the Cinderella this year? Yeah. We talk about the number nine ranked player in the world, but this place doesn't always produce a really good winner. Yeah. So last year we had, um, Looking at the semifinals, we had actually had four guys in the semifinals that were outside of the top 30, including Victor Perez, who like I had never heard of. Walks until, from high school alum. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a friend from high school named Victor isn't Perez. He, he's a French, right? He's French, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he hits he's the ball a mile. Yeah, but I mean, we had, I had someone I'd never heard of before this tournament last year ended up being in the semifinals. So there always seems to be someone that make it out of this pool play and make a run that like you really don't see coming. Um Billy Billy won last year, ranked 32, which was a little bit of an upset. Um, in 2019, because uh, 2020 was canceled due to COVID, but we had Lucas Beauregard. Yeah, uh, Beauregard come out. Yeah. He made it to the semis, at ranked 52. We obviously had Kisner a few years ago uh, win the whole thing. with uh, He was ranked 48 at that time. I mean, it just seems like this match play style is, is completely different. And, I mean, I, I do believe in the fact that there are – golfers on tour that are just better at match like match play suits their game i mean you think about kisner you think about polter 
uh, making his strong appearances in the Ryder Cup. And, I mean, some of these guys that are ranked really low can just have the ability to, to kind of turn into a Cinderella and make a run in this thing. I think you're definitely right there, Colin. Kind of speaks to, like, what Ben said about, like, to be able to consistently, like, in the middle of the fairway, things like that. Like, Kisner's just, like, known for just being really pretty much, like, dead straight down the middle. He's not the longest player, but he's just always in a position where he can get on the green and get a birdie look. And I think that, you know, that helps in match plays. He doesn't have to hit anything, you know, absolutely crazy to try to recover and, you know, make up and catch up to whoever he's playing against. It's yeah, kind of when Kisner counts his strokes up at the end of the day, he's going to be, like, four under par, but he's going to have made one bogey. Yeah. So it's pretty much like you know you can't make bogeys against a guy like Kisner. And then one other side note, Lucas Beergard. You know who he beat in 2019 to get to that semifinal match? Tiger. That's right. It was a really great match. I remember Lucas stuffed it. I think it's like the 16th or 17th hole is a par three that has junk short and left of the green. It's it's a very visually intimidating hole, and he just stuffed it in there to beat the GOAT. Yeah, speaking of Tiger, I, I found it really interesting. He holds the record here. He won a match 9-8, and eight, which essentially oh, means he won the first nine holes and then tied the 10th hole, which playing another professional golfer is absolutely insane. I think the guy he was playing, maybe Stephen Ames or something. Do you know that story? Kind of dogged him a little bit yeah. and said, yeah, you know, it's Tiger, but he's been hitting the ball like really all over the place lately, so I kind of got a chance, and then Tiger just went out there and absolutely shut the door. <laughs> like on that it. was that was the introduction to say like you're not going to get in Tiger's head if you talk shit about him, he's going to beat you down. Yet somehow Abe Answer thought, yeah, I'm going to talk shit to Tiger back at the Presidents Cup or whatever. I mean, ever seen those videos? That putt goes in sooner. I love those videos. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, I mean, speaking of the gamesmanship here, that's one of the things I love about watching match play is like there's little nuances that you're never going to see in a stroke play tournament. But in match play, like little things like when do you give your opponent a putt? You know, if they're within a foot, yeah, granted, just pick it up. But, you know, there's a little bit of gamesmanship. Like if a guy's got three foot, maybe three feet, maybe give it to him. So my strategy is always not that it ever works, but like I'm going to lull a guy into some comfort early on in the round if I'm playing a match play. Give him some longer putts just so he starts feeling really relaxed and easy going and then Towards the end, I'm never going to give them anything. Just just trying to play a little bit of mind games there. What do you all think? Yeah, I was thinking about this like it's like the NFL when they ice the kicker. And uh, so you give a guy a couple putts early in the match. It's kind of like like when you ice a kicker late in the fourth, hoping that they get up in their own head. And the more I think about it with the pros, like their mental game is so darn strong. Like they're going to have they're not going to have any thoughts about missing the putt. So you might as well just you're pretty much going to make them putt everything outside of three feet for the for the whole entire match. But then. When it comes to just playing with your buddies, I think your strategy is definitely, it probably works a lot because some of us get a little comfortable and then all of a sudden we get over that four footer on like 16 and we just start thinking about things like, how do we even, like, are we taking the putter back the right way? Like, are we hitting it too hard? And so I like your strategy when it comes to just amateur golf and match play, definitely try to get in your opponent's head. Yeah, when, it, when it comes to me, for, uh, for sure. Anyone else at this table? I'm I'm giving them the putts for Ben. So nice. I'm I'm not I'm not giving him shit. He's he already kicks my ass every time. I'm making him putt everything. Everyone else, I know that you know we all kind of suck, but you know Ben, you know he just kind of hurts me a lot of times. On Dubs the offended. Dubs offended. <laughs> no one should. Dub has one hand. Dubs, I'm all over the place. I'm left. I'm right. I think I miss more four footers than I make. So if giving me a putt is the nicest thing you could do to me. Do you think these guys on the tour, if they're they're harder on their friends, like say like. Uh, JT and Spieth are playing together. Like, are they going to give people, give them more gimmies or give them less gimmies if they're actually friends with the guy? I think they're going to do a lot of that. Make them fully line it up, just get over the putt, get ready to putt, and like, oh, it's good, and just kind of walk off the green. Yeah. They do a lot of that kind of shit. 
it is amazing how sensitive they'll get at times. I believe it was this past year's Ryder Cup. Like, it came out in the interview <laughs> afterwards. Somebody was like, oh, yeah, on the 11th hole, they didn't give us a three-footer, and that's just poor sportsmanship. I love when they're sitting there and they put the putter head in the cup and, like, show that the ball's inside. the shaft length. And you get these guys out there with, like, belly putters. Like, yo, it's like a six-footer. Bryson like, did that. Doing? Bryson, yeah, Bryson did sports like a 38-inch putter, yeah. I think that to actually to the to the antithesis of that is like when you don't give a pro a putt, it almost like lights them up a little more, and they're like, "You didn't do that. I'm going to kick your ass now." Well, that's the thing I love about match play so much the the putting. Like when you're following a group and you're rooting for someone, and you think, "Oh, they're five feet closer on the green here; they have the advantage." But then that guy who's five feet farther nails that putt, and you're like, "Oh boy, now he." it goes from having the advantage to I got to make this or I'm going down. Yeah, keeping all things fairly similar, like a 10-footer and a 15-footer, going first is such an advantage because you have the chance to set the tone. Yeah, and honestly, that's, for me, that's kind of my favorite, one of the big things about match play. Like, it encourages so many just, like, highlights. You know, there's so many just big moments that come out of match play because of it. It's set up in the way that each hole is its own game, basically. It's more right. like, it's more like tennis where you're playing, you know. Like sets, sets, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more on that kind of line where, People are then encouraged to take those risks. You know, if they're in a bad shot, they're you're encouraged to hit that. You know, Bubba Watson out of the trees in in a, at Augusta at the Masters to try to win win the hole alone. So I'm really looking forward to that this week, where you're just going to see people trying ridiculous shit they wouldn't usually try. Maybe they they take a drop, whatever. They play more for the stroke play of all the hero shots. 100. Yeah, you're going to see so many more of those. I can't wait to see all the fucking highlights here. Do you think the players look forward to this kind of event more than the average tournament? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they love mixing it up. And it's like, and it totally gives guys like we're talking about that play more consistent golf a better chance to win. We talked about in previous episodes, episodes about the distance really dominating the game, but this is a week where no single part of your game is important other than your score. Yeah. And I also love like this kind of sets it up. Each, each round, it's like it's a man against man. It's not, you're not worried about what's happening anywhere else on the course. It's just who the person you're playing with. And, like, we talked about Kisner earlier. He's just known for just talking shit to people the entire time oh, yeah. he's playing with. And it kind of, like, Dub mentioned earlier how he wants to see more of that, like, being able to hear what's talking between the caddies stuff. That would be great if we could actually just hear some of the shit people are saying to each other. Yeah, let me pay, like, five bucks, ten bucks, and watch, like, the final round matchup and just hear the players talking the entire time. I mean, how exciting would that be, hearing them talking shit, talking to their caddies, strategizing? Oh, yeah. I they could, they could have like that. a simul alternate simulcast of like no commentators and just player chatter. I would literally watch that over anything else. They just need to get HBO to sponsor them or whatever. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. probably like one of the one of the barriers of not the barriers of entry. Actually, one of the reasons that the Saudi league is probably trying to do what they're doing is because like golf golf coverage is like Azinger is just not really hitting the charts hard right now. So having alternate formats and having mic'd up players and hearing like what it is inside the ropes that is huge. And then one other comment too, Tully about about the hero shots and then other things you'll see this week and why it's really fun to watch match play is you, honestly you never see pros make more like 10 15 footers for par or even bogey to force their playing competitor to make a three footer for par because they're not worried guy's got a 15 footer for bogey he knows he just needs to make this and hope his, his playing competitor misses a three footer that thing can go 10 feet by the hole so they're being aggressive these greens are true they're not worried about the putt coming back they make a lot more putts this week. Yeah, you'll arguably never never see a more exciting bogey than in match play format. Yeah, and those, those types of par saves where you're hitting out of trees and hitting it on your knees left-handed or crazy shit like that, I mean, that's where the momentum swings. You know, the other guy just has this nice, easy par. 
thinking he's going to win the whole easy, and then here his opponent pulls a shot out of his ass, and then the match completely swings on something like that. I mean, that's what amateurs don't do is like, well, they do what you're talking about. They start kind of counting it up, like counting your chickens before they hatch, and they think, okay, I'm going to get up one here. Then we got a hole coming up that's like a par five. I'm, I'm longer. The pros tried to do a really good job of thinking they're going to make – if a pro's anywhere around the green, they're thinking that shot's going in, and that's where their mental side is, and that's why they can withstand the pressure of a pro making a 20-footer for par and then still bury their three-footer for par. Nice. And then, so, yeah, so that, that wraps up uh, you know, what we're looking for this week. Let's run into our picks here, Tyler. Give us a, give us a look at the top ten, and then we'll talk about uh, who we're taking. Yeah, let's look at the favorites this week. Uh, making his return to the top of the leaderboard is John Rahm at plus 1,300. Uh, following Rom, we've got two guys at plus fourteen hundred. That's Justin Thomas and Victor Hovland. Uh, following Victor, we also have two guys at plus sixteen hundred. We have Scotty Scheffler and Colin Morikawa. Followed by Patrick Cantlay and Dustin Johnson at plus two thousand. Xander Shoffley at plus twenty two hundred. Daniel Berger at plus twenty seven hundred. And my boy Louis Oosthuizen at plus twenty nine hundred. What a hill to die on. My boy Louie. Your boy hey, Louie. How, how many wins does Victor have? You took him last week from me. So I, don't I mean, this year he actually has a couple. Louie's not a bad boy. Have, on the have you heard tour, of the you know? Puerto Rico Open? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the Mayakova Classic. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump. It's my main goal to just mess Tyler up when he does this. Segment. There's so many times where I just have a pause. I'm like, all right, so we're just going to go back to the top of the leaderboard and look at our favorite pick of the week, which is Ben looking at the top of the leaderboard, looking at Justin Thomas at plus 1,400. Ben, what do you like about JT this week? Yeah, I mean, he's the second odds on favorite. I'm surprised no one took Rom. I mean, I guess value, value added kind of thing. Everyone's had a chance. Everyone's had their date with JT. Well, this is my, this weekend's my date with him. And so in match play, I'm really looking for a guy that when, when something goes wrong, he gets that little fire in his belly and he just starts to turn it on. JT probably does that better than anyone else on tour. And then also, I noticed kind of closing the round out at the Valspar on Sunday that his short game really is starting to get to world class. He was putting himself in some precarious positions because of how aggressive he needed to be. And he was just pulling off shots that, at, at a rate, like at a success rate that you just don't see amongst the average tour player. So if JT, uh, like we always say, if JT putts pretty well this week, I kind of see him not making too many mistakes. Uh, he lost in the, the quarterfinals last year to uh, Scotty. So I really, I really expect him to have a good week this week. Yeah, another guy that I think everyone expects to do well just doesn't seem to be winning. Uh, we got Ken going back to the horse. <laughs> Ken, Victor Hovland, is yeah. this a Trojan horse? Yep. I, I'm solely basing this on the fact that he posted a new Instagram this week. Nor of course. <laughs> he posted a, a self-deprecating Instagram when he's basically stuck his four iron to like two feet and he says like hitting my irons closer than my putter and he's like not taking himself too seriously. So I, I feel like he put that out, on, out there on purpose to kind of like lighten, lighten it up a little bit and I feel like he's got a good attitude going into this. So I don't know. I think everyone, he's smiling out there. People like Vic. He's good to play with in groups. I think he thrives in the situation. I don't think Berger likes Vic too much. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll, they'll hash it out. They'll bury the hatchet. Do you think I'll, these guys are going to make get them Victor together. take some, make some three footers, four footers since the putter's <laughs> been so weak? Do you think they're going to make him put them out? Uh, his short putting's okay. It's his eight footers that are just, he can't even touch the hole with They respect right him. They respect him. They know he's going to be better than them, a lot of these guys. So they'll be like, yeah, let's just take a Vic. But I do like Vic's kind of easy going. He doesn't really ever get too mad. And it's a long Colin's week of golf. Over here. Colin's shrugging over here. Get out of here. Colin's a vacator. We've got a potentially 108 holes of golf this week. I like Vic because he stays really yeah. even keel. Take the young guys, you know. Lee West was not going to be making 108 holes out there. <laughs> 
Vic is, and Berger are on opposite sides of the bracket. They could be in the championship together. That would be really fun. Who would you pick? Who would you pick, Ken? I'll moderate a sit down with Berger and Havlin. <laughs> Mafia style yeah, here with the Grand Canyon pre drafted questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grand Canyon has my uh, Zoom background. I'll get them on. There. Uh, yeah. All right. Our, our next pick, um, it seems to be an easy pick just because I think we've seen it work out a few times already this year. Tully going with Scotty Scheffler plus 1600. Sloppy thirds. Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going back to old reliable for the boys here. I mean, I, I did some number crunching, and I am currently the worst on the podcast when it comes to betting. So, you know, just going with, you know, what seems to have worked in the past. I mean, maybe a little bit of a revenge story. He was runner-up here last year, as we mentioned. So kind of wants to, you know, keep the good vibes going in 2022, get another win. You know, he's won on the West Coast. He's won on the East Coast. Now it's time to win in Texas. So Texas Longhorn yeah. plays well in the wind, too. There you go. He's got it. And not to mention, like, let's not forget how dominant this man was at the Ryder Cup. Taking down John Rahm four and three, you know, and just arguably being what kind of sealed the deal for the U.S. Um, this well, some of the best year. golf that was amazing. I mean, John John was four, John and Sergio were four and zero, oh, and he and Scheffler comes in kind of he he puts it on the green on one two putts birdie, and it just looked like Rahm never had a chance. Yeah, he just put it out all out, put it on the table, and said, "Let's fucking go." So I mean, I think he's you know obviously he's proven he can do the match play thing, and arguably he's been playing the best golf on tour this year at the very least in twenty twenty two. Obviously, you know, great chance for him to take it home. Even when Billy beat him last year in the championship match, Scotty showed time and time again how good he is at putting. He really understands wind putting as well. So look out. Yeah, and clearly he's shown he knows how to win now. So let's go. Let's get another one for the boys. A note before we leave off that Ryder Cup topic. Have you seen his pool this week? He's Playing against all the Europeans, he whooped their ass out. Oh, yeah. is that the Westwood yeah, Poulter? So he's basically guaranteed to like get out of that. Westwood right? Poulter Fitzpatrick? I think it's Poulter Fitzpatrick Fleetwood. Yeah. Fleetwood, Fleetwood, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he already knows he can be those. Those are win guys. guys, though. Tough to The win gets twice. up, it's tough. But he's a win guy. You just told me that. The winner could come out of that bracket. That's, that's the best. It's going to be Scotty. Our next pick is going to be my own. I'm going with Patrick Cantlay at plus 2,000. To me, there's not many more guys that are just so solid week after week than Patrick. I think that plays well to this type of tournament. Uh, he could have a bad hole or two, but he's not going to let that get to him. He's pretty stoic out there on the course. Uh, you see him probably top five in any tournament that he comes into on the favorites board. Uh, so for me, it's hard to pick against a guy like Patrick. And we haven't seen him pull out a win in the last few weeks, but he's been up there a couple times. I think this is the time where he's just going to say, all right, I've got this star-studded field. I'm going to step up, and it's going to really make him play to the top of his game. Also, probably top top five short game in, in, in the game of golf, too. So that always goes so far in match play. Stoic is a perfect word for him. He almost, he like, sometimes he just looks bored out there in like a good way. He's just like very focused and like flat face. He doesn't show a lot of. Yep, he's not getting too high. He's not getting yeah. too low. Yeah, I think that's that's the type of temperament that you need for this type of tournament. Now he needs an old fire in him. He's got some fire. You see it. It can be tiring. I mean, it's a long it's a long week. You know, you see the guys at the end. Like, I mean, I think when you see the winners, like Billy Billy can get up and down, but Billy, like just like Patrick, is very stoic. Doesn't yeah. show a lot of emotion. It, it's a lot of holes, so I'm a little worried about it as he's kind of toe tapping as he's lining up his putts. So his calves are <laughs> slow rounds. Pretty, his calves yeah. are going to get a pretty good workout this week, but I think he'll be all right. Um, also, at plus two thousand. Collins go back to his boy Dustin Johnson. Uh, Colin, how's that going to work for you this week? Miscut. Well, you boys talked about stoic. I mean, there's no one more stoic on tour than big old DJ. I mean, he was striking his irons beautifully on Thursday last week, the Valspar. I watched his whole round. He was getting it right up there next to the pin. Uh, he missed a few putts that he probably should have made. 
Um, he, he, I think he went four under that Thursday, but could have been a lot better. Started his round on Friday with a sh- Colin Mummert signature shank 60 degree. <laughs> Seen that. And I think that set the tone for the rest of his weekend. But I'm really looking for him to bounce back this week. I really think he's turned a corner and he's going to come back and be in his old form soon. Also, just looking at his pool, he's going up against Homa. Homa's a good golfer, but I'm taking DJ over that one. And then Hughes, sorry, you're not keeping me up at night, Mackenzie Hughes. And Wolf has been struggling lately. So I think it's going to be an easy pull for him to make it out of. And he matches up with a Rusty Bryson in the next round. So um, I think he's got a good chance to make a run here. Oh, for it's sure. easy to get to this yeah. round of 16. It's a good point. Say it's pretty much a three-man group for him because, I mean, when's the last time we saw Matt Wolf be competitive at all? I actually looked it up. Matt Wolf has the longest odds of any American in the field this week. And he is just I, – I, I, I will say that I've seen him kind of like he's starting to turn the corner a little bit because we saw him at the Honda shoot like 81 in the second round. He like almost made the cut a couple weeks ago. So he won't be as bad as he previously was, but he should have – you know, DJ should have no problem with him. DJ also has plenty of Ryder Cup experience, and he kicked some ass here in 2017. Define kick some ass. Did he get married this week? (laughs) Did he get married this week? This week? Engaged. Did he actually get married? I I think he's been engaged for like six years. No, he just recently got engaged, but I'm not sure when the wedding is. We'll have to wait. Yeah, our invitations haven't gotten here yet. All yeah. right, Dub. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go ahead and move this one to our last group. Uh, Dub, you've got Xander Shoffley at plus twenty two hundred winning this thing. What makes you like Xander this week? Yeah, I mean, just like everyone said about the last couple guys, I like his consistency. I like his mannerism out there. Doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. He's the Olympic champion, Olympic gold medalist. He's he hasn't won since then and hasn't really been in contention, but he's been hovering right around there. So I, I subscribe to the do theory here. I'd love to see him kind of break out of the little bit of slump he's been in. And I think we're going to flip the script. I don't think he's ever made it out of the group stage in this format. So I'd love to see him do that this this week. And he's in a very weak group. I mean, the next closest golfer is Tony Finau, who is kind of a shade of him, his former self right now, really struggling. And then two guys I don't think I've ever heard of, Takumi Kanaya and Lucas Herbert, who I guess was in contention recently. But a, a pretty weak group, relatively speaking, for Xander to get out and, and make some noise going forward. I got to say, from one person bringing down the, uh, the the group's you know gambling status to another here, Dub, <laughs> I mean, Xander's shown that, you know, maybe he's not great in the wind after that players, and Benny had brought up that Texas wind. Are you a little concerned there at all? Uh, no concerns. We're putting the players in the rearview mirror, and it's just all systems go moving forward now. So we're not concerned about that. We're, we're fine. I mean, a lot Nerves. of players have been leaving Xander in the rearview mirror, so <laughs> just got to throw that out there. Yeah, I think Xander kind of hits that loopy draw. And when, when his irons are on, it really actually is, is a good good shot for the wind. But when he's leaving it outright, that's the kind of shot that gets absolutely gobbled up and makes these guys look bad. But the one thing I'm looking for Xander this week is for him to start putting like he used to. Xander, amongst some of these top players, is really the only one that uses that, that mallet-style putter head. And when he is on, his stroke looks so robotic. So I really want him to start putting well. And if he does, he's definitely got a chance this week. Xander's got that loopy draw. got that loopy slice. It's, it's tough in the wind, baby. Nice. Okay, that wraps up our picks for this week. Uh, a couple long shots we'll talk about on the Instagram, and then we'll be back uh, in a second to talk about Saudi.
All right, we've had a lot of stuff going on with the Saudi League. Greg Norman's been on multiple podcasts, really spreading the word. And then the big news for this week is we now have a schedule for the Saudi League. They officially published eight events to be held around the world starting June 9th. Notable courses are Centurion in England, Pumpkin Ridge in Oregon, Trump National Doral in Florida, the International Club in Massachusetts, Rich Harvest Farms in Illinois. Then they're going to Thailand, then back to Saudi for the championship. Lots going on here. We got quite a few, uh, quite a few social issues to talk about. So we got three three questions we're going to pass around to the guys here. So one, uh, what does everyone think about uh, sports washing? What's your take? Then we want to get everyone's thoughts on if the PGA Tour is in its rights to take the strong stance it has against the Saudi League. And then two, and then three, we're going to talk about if you were in these people's spots, you're 100 to 200 in the world. Are you going to take a chance to go play on the Saudi league for maybe 3 million plus a week? And then pretty standard money win on the BGA tour. You got to make the cut just to make like 50 grand. So we'll kick it around to the guys here. So let's start here with Josh. So Josh, what do you think about sports washing? Uh, do you think it should, that it, it's a real big problem for the Saudi league? And then I know we've seen a lot around the world. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they can dress it up how they want and pitch it as a golf league that they're trying to grow the game of golf. But I think it's just ultimately a PR stunt for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, ironically enough, a few days before they announce the schedule, it comes out that the Saudi Arabian government executes 80 or some men in the largest uh, mass execution in decades. So a little bit of, hey, look over here at our new golf league while we're doing this back home. The sports washing is a little less about convincing casual golf fans that there's nothing going on in Saudi Arabia, and it's it's really an attempt to drive a lot more investment into their country to encourage foreign corporations into you know investing in country and doing things like that. Because right now, a lot of companies don't associate at all with Saudi Arabia, and they're trying to change that because they've had so much reliance on oil. You know, we see guys like Dustin Johnson come over and play in the Saudi Invitational, which, you know, is him going over there and getting a big cash grab. But his sponsors say, you can't wear my logo. I think RBC is a notable one. You can't wear my logo when you go over there and play because we don't like to associate with the kingdom over there. So it's just, it's an interesting reality. I know there's plenty of it going on, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's golf, whether it's uh, Premier League soccer. So there's, there's all kinds of examples, even within our own country. But you know, I, I think this, first and foremost, is a sports-washing exercise. Whether or not that influences whether this is going to be a good golf league or not, I guess is a completely different issue, but I don't know what you guys think. But I think you bring up a good point. Like, it is in all those other sports. You know, it is, realistically, I would say it's probably, to some effect, in 90% of sponsorships that are out there. Like, how many of these big corporations that can actually afford to back things or whatever – probably do some sketchy shit behind the scenes and you know have things that they don't want people to look into or you know overthink i think it's happening across the board so what what i kind of am look at it is, is at what point is like oh we're just going to put everything that comes out of saudi arabia sports washing or is there any is there any room where they can actually try to do something that's just oh we think this is a good idea also you you, you know you bring up the whole you know the massacre the execution all that kind of stuff is the people making those decisions are they coming from the same is it the same person that's, oh, yeah, I want to start a golf league as well as I'm going to execute these people? Like, it may be, you know, things are coming from different places. So I kind of feel like, you know, I don't feel like we know enough information about it to just blow off and just say we have to just completely disregard this thing. Yeah, it is, it is all government funding. And I think, Dub, you bring up a really good point about it really may not be about us, right? Because when you think about them offering 20, 30 and onward up, 
million dollar purses, they're really going to need outside sponsorship from companies. And to your point, Telly, about corporations doing things behind closed doors that may not be that pretty, that definitely goes on. But the public image of these companies that they're going to need to sponsor this league and to keep them in the green is absolutely necessary. And I just don't think there's too many corporations that are going to associate themselves with the Saudi public fund. Well, it's also kind of interesting, too, because I think it's hard to look at this initial investment as them thinking they're going to make money off of this. Because for them to recoup their, I don't know, $300 million initial investment, they pretty much have to nuke the PGA Tour and blow it up and get all those big players over here to play in Saudi Arabia. So I, I really think it's a attempt of, you know, PR of, hey, we're going to throw all this money out there. We're hopefully going to get a lot of big guys in a big tournament. And it's also kind of interesting because, you know, if you, if you talk to the golf heads here, all the courses they lay out are very uninspiring, and there's there's nothing that big of a draw. I mean, they're going to be different from what we're used to seeing, but there's no like true, unique, iconic courses that they're going to be playing. It's all. It also remains to be seen who's playing on this tour. Are we going to be having the 300th ranked players in the world competing for a fifty million dollar purse or whatever it is? I mean, is it going to be covered on TV? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions at this point. It'll be really interesting to see how this develops going forward. Yeah, I think I'm kind of encouraged that a schedule's even been released. Like, it's, this has all felt like smoke and mirrors. And for them to release a schedule, to put courses' names out there, to show that they're affiliated with the tour, it feels like a step in the right direction for them. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to need to figure out TV deals. Uh, like we talked about earlier, I think that they have an opportunity here. I think I really am anti letting Saudi Arabia support a, a sport that I like. I don't I don't really think that I would like to watch it, but if they're going to offer different scoring formats and team formats and things that are more exciting to watch, it's something the PGA Tour is just not doing right now in their off weeks. I mean, it's I think it's clear that it's going to happen now. Like a couple weeks ago it was like, well, this may or may not happen. It's going to happen. It's probably going to it's probably going to function almost like a minor league with a ton of money, which is going to be a little bit of a it's going to be a little odd to see guys that are maybe the 200th ranked guy in the world winning like $5 million. But um, I think it's all about risk. And clearly some people are taking risks and people have, have taken risks. Like clearly some people are in deeper than we think, like Phil, for instance, right? Like he, there's, there's no reason why there's, I mean, there's a reason why he's not playing the masters. Obviously he's just trying to save face. But, you know, I think that um, behind the scenes, I, I would imagine there's being some articles and books and things written right now about like people that have already, taken some pretty big leaps into this thing that we don't know about yet. And I, I'm, I think a lot of players are going to get swallowed up by this that may, may be trying to back out. And maybe they want to be in it, but I think this is here to stay, and it's going to be like a five-year experiment, right? I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. They've already been too much investment. Yeah, I think about not only do we need corporations to invest, you're right. We haven't seen a player list, and we need players to invest. Um, so I guess the next question on our list is, you know, talking about Saudi League's going to need to dominate the PGA Tour. So, what are our thoughts on the PGA Tour's stance on this? Uh, are they, you know, is, are they in the in the rights to say that if you if you play on the Saudi League, you're going to be banned from the tour? Should they be playing a little bit nicer? Is there more money out there to be gained? Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Can I ask a question? I think it's like let's just pretend for a second like this is a league from Germany or something. Let's pretend Saudi Arabia is not part of this. Would the PGA Tour be reacting the same exact way? Like there, there's a convenience to them. Uh, pointing out, you know, some of the flaws of, of 
Saudi Arabia as a kingdom or country, right? But like, just, let's just play for a second. Like it's coming out of Germany. Would let's they, not pretend that you know, other countries don't have huge. Yeah, would they? Be, would they history? be? Well, let's say it's coming out of any country, Canada. Like, would they have the same harsh response? I mean, I think, I think they would. Honestly, I think they're ultimately trying to protect their brand because the way the PGA Tour does well is by having all the top players playing and the top players that you see every week. And so, if guys start jumping ship, whether it's to a Saudi Arabian league or a German league, it's really going to water down their product, and it's going to mean reduced purses, and reduced payouts for everybody. I mean, the PGA Tour has its own issues, certainly. I mean, they're very antiquated, slow to adapt to the times, but ultimately they are conceivably trying to look out for all the players and high tide rises rises all boats or whatever the saying is that, you know, if they have all the best players there, they're going to have more money to disseminate down to the lower tours and everything. So I think they have to take this hard of a stance to eliminate people trying to participate and foreign tours, especially ones that are coming on U.S. soil, where they're pretty much the only people having tournaments. You know, I kind of, I kind of applaud Jay Malahan's, you know, approach to everything initially in terms of playing that hardball. But I think he does need to kind of dial it back now. I think he, he has gotten to the point now where Greg Norman has had to revise the format of the whole live golf, the Saudi league, whatever you want to call it, because it, originally it was definitely proposed. Everything kind of sounded like it was going to be a full-on tour to fully compete whereas now it's they're fully going with oh it's an eight event thing it's not it's going opposite all of the you know the major events it's not it's not the majors it's not interfering with Ryder Cup President's Cup kind of stuff I think you know one of the competing events was like the John Deere and the I think the first one is the RGC Canadian like ones that don't always necessarily get the biggest feels so I think now is the time where you would think the PJ Tour almost wants to kind of talk about it because they're clearly it's happening now and there would they be better off just making some level of partnership in it in the sense of let us have some input let us have some say let us kind of dictate a little bit more of what's going on or side note is monahan just full on i'm not going to talk to you because does he already have a bunch of plans in motion that they've now put in place with these threats that that's why he's just completely ignoring everything norman said because that's what Greg Norman's come out multiple times on a bunch of different podcasts saying he's been trying to reach out to the PGA Tour and he just is not able to talk to Monaghan directly at any point in time. Okay, but at the end of the day, this tour has clearly made their intentions that they're trying to get the players that currently play on the PGA Tour to play in this tour and they're clearly going to be competition for them. Why would PGA just like go along with that? I mean, we just literally had a conversation about how to like get more interest in the Valspar if the tour is losing their players and another another like tour is, is out there that people may be watching instead, how is that good for them at all? That's my point in terms of making it something where more of a partnership where they are somehow involved in getting something out of it. Because these players are already skipping events, not participating in things regardless. There are, and these are, most of these are lined up. Most of the events are in that fall period where a lot of the golfers are like, oh, we're, we're, we don't really want to play in the fall. We don't like how it is in the fall. We're ready. We want to break after that long you know, summer stretch. So why not have some sort of connection with it where they have some sort of oversight and can almost dictate a lot of it? Because realistically, you know, this is not going to succeed without the success or with the cooperation to some level of the PGA Tour. I was going to say, I think I'm completely on board with how the PGA Tour is treating this. And then to Ken's comments earlier, I really feel like we're not getting everyone's best intentions. Like, I think it's convenient for the PGA Tour to call out sports washing because they're protecting their financial well-being. And then it's also convenient for Greg Norman to say, hey, we're just here to grow the game of golf. We're just looking out for golf. When he's also trying to purposefully almost overlook the fact that he's uh, he's working with a state and nation that, yeah, 
don't don't have a they have a terrible record with human rights. So it just feels like no one here is really bringing their true and honest cards to the table. So I'm okay with the PGA Tour playing hardball because I don't think live investments in the Saudi league are doing anything different. So then let's wrap it up with one last question. You know, so if you guys are 100 to 200 in the world, what are you doing? You going to play here or are you staying on the PGA Tour, sticking to your roots? Yeah, I'm sticking to my roots. I mean, I've spent my whole childhood leading up to joining the PGA Tour and chasing majors and chasing that prestige that comes with being on the tour and winning some top events. So I'm going to stay here. I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to improve from 100th in the world or whatever. I mean, I'm still going to be able to hopefully make a living rather than just kind of chase small amounts of money through these various tournaments. I don't think it is small amounts of money. I think that's the point. I mean, if, if I have the chance to earn $3 million in one event in one weekend and I'm 100th on tour just trying to, or 200th on tour just trying to like sustain my play and keep my tour card. Pay your bills, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm taking that chance. I will caveat that if I am a professional golfer, I would want to be able to still play in the majors and have that opportunity. But I mean, maybe that's not the case. That would, that would be a make or break for me. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to say like small amounts of money there, Dub. I mean, each week in this, it's it's matching or really exceeding the biggest purse in PJ Tour history. And I was kind of looking at it at the players, which this past year that was the biggest purse ever. Forty eighth place made fifty five thousand eight hundred dollars. So in this case, there that was an, there's another seven hundred ninety four thousand dollars that was at play that's going to trickle up to them. Not to mention the additional five million dollar team purse if the group that they're a part of you know, performs well enough on a given week. So there's definitely a lot of money. I think they're looking at probably at least 70,000 or so a tournament, which for someone that's ranked 200 in the world that isn't necessarily getting into big PGA Tour events Is this week projected in, week money out. or guaranteed money? There's a, a lot they, of ifs nobody, here, right? Nobody ma- everyone makes the cut. Everyone gets a check. Yeah, there is like, no cut. There is no cut. So everyone is getting really? a check in this. Yeah. Wow. So okay. that, that's that. I mean, no idea how the actual breakout is. For all we know, it's going to be... You show up, you make... Bank pretty much, seventy grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it just yeah. kind of like I think it's hard to really That's just tempting. scoff that out. Yeah, if maybe I, maybe I misspoke there, saying little bits of money. I meant little bits of prestige. I mean, I want to go against the best players in the world, and I want to build up my legacy rather than just chasing the money, which is really the only benefit you're getting by playing on this tour. But I think that's what kind of goes back to Colin's point. The PGA Tour doesn't dictate who gets to play in the majors. But I do agree with Colin here, though. Like, I think these guys that are like that are scrapping for their PGA Tour card on the Corn Ferry or other tours, like they sometimes they have to take risks to be able to, to continue the dream of being a professional golfer. Um, and I, I do think it's going to be tempting for them. And maybe this is going to force the the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour, in partnership with the Corn Ferry to be this uh, to really bump the money earnings in Corn Ferry, which has been it's been coming up, but it's still not anywhere near where it probably should be, right? I think that's my hope is right is like five years from now, it really like if this works or it doesn't, I don't really have a, a clue yet. But it's that right. It's that the PGA Tour takes it like a chip on their shoulder, and really, although they do a pretty good job of financially looking out for the players, is like they really make it a point to say, hey, we're going to make it as equitable as far as revenue and then costs throughout the game. I think I lean more towards Dub's perspective on this. It's like I'm spending my entire life wanting to be a PGA Tour golfer. Um, maybe like some of these guys that are in the twilight of their career that they can just ju- jump and make a little bit more money. That's one thing. But I think those guys that are just looking there outside in on the PGA Tour, it's like keep striving for it. It's like that's what you've been doing your whole life. That's what we want to get to. And if you're worried about the money, just pull a Max Homa and just work on your Twitter game, work on that player <laughs> impact program, but and catch a couple million bucks that way. Easily. I, Max I Homa did not get any money from the PIP. But I yeah, agree this with is you his on it. I agree with you idealistically, Tyler, but like, there's only so many golfers that can play in these tournaments, and it's like extremely, extremely hard. It's like top .0001% of people in the world at golf. And like, if these guys like 
go over and play one. I'm not saying like my whatever I think personally about Saudi Arabia, regardless. But like these guys go play one tour and they can sustain their life for the next five years to then get themselves to their dream of being the PJ Tour. I think a lot of guys are going to do it because it's, it, it, it's like, or they're going to go start working, you know, somewhere actually get a real job and they don't want to do that, right? And obviously, it's going to really dictate on you know what the PJ Tour decides to do with that lifetime ban. That's true. The, Re- the, the ban realistically, deal, yeah. they're really only looking, and they're probably I would expect you know you know they're kind of iffy about how they do all their their punishments. Anyways, you know if someone gets suspended, they don't make an actual announcement. It's all behind closed doors. I could one hundred percent see a world where oh, it's only you know those top ten, those top twenty, those people that are on that you know the pip list kind of thing that actually are suffering quote unquote consequences. But you're you know. 178th ranked golfer in the world that decides to go play in a couple of these events doesn't really he gets nothing more than a little bit smiley kaufman over here yeah like no they're not going to stop smiley kaufman from coming onto a pga tour event after he played in two saudi events yeah ken i just want to come back to you real quick one of the things you're saying about just getting a real job and playing and then making your money that way i mean a lot of these guys that aren't making money anyway they're only playing golf twice a week anyway i mean a lot look at your average accountant making 80 grand probably getting out there twice a week playing not for any money either so they're getting the same amount of golfing as an accountant <laughs> as you are for a guy not making the cut does the saudi tour fly you out you gotta pay for your own flight that's a big deal i don't know i think a smart move for a lot of these players would be just like oh we're just gonna play the u.s events the ones that are local because you don't you kind of yeah. take you kind of remove at least a little of yourself from the direct Saudi stuff. I do think that's like the, the hypothetical stuff that's that's really got me thinking like why this thing that could succeed is like I do think the PGA Tour is playing hardball right now. I think that they'll they'll ease that back a little bit. I don't think there will be any lifetime bans. I think they have to take that stance to try and discourage players. But then you're right like Saudi coming to America like these are going to be pretty convenient events for these guys. So I do see like guys taking a hybrid schedule and then kind of like talking about like the theological side of this is like these guys like I don't think 20 years from now if this Saudi league succeeds that people are going to be like, those guys took sports washing money. I think it's just going to be like, they played in another league. And then I start to think about, like, definitely twilight of your career. I think it's totally acceptable for these guys. I think the young guys, um, based on whatever sanction the PGA Tour sets place. Uh, but you think about a lot of these, like, Premier League soccer players that come over to the U.S. for a ton of money. Andy, or what's the, who's the guy that played for DC Wayne United? Rooney. Wayne Rooney. And then who's the, like, Swedish guy that played for the Galaxy? Yeah, you got Ibrahimovic. Yeah, Ibrahimovic. Like, I, like, I think those guys will do that. I just really wonder if the Saudi league is going to be able to sustain financially. That's the hard part. Yeah, the, the money thing is obviously going to, like, that, that has to run out at some point if they're not getting anything back for it. Well, they have endless streams of money there, I feel like, so. I mean, they're not going to just, like, throw it all away the whole time, are they? It's an investment. I mean, this is a, them diversifying their portfolio. So they really are in it for the money. And as much as Greg says he's not, he is too. Can we talk? Well, I mean, I know we're moving on in a second, but can we talk last point, maybe like less about money, more about brand, right? Like Phil's brand took a is taking a gigantic hit right now. And all these guys are, it's basically like, you know, optics in our society kind of values that a lot right now, right? And it's, so if some of these young guys say, I make one mistake and my brand is kind of tainted forever, I think that's that's in the back of everyone's mind, right? No one wants to have their Certainly. brand. No one wants to have their brand tainted and no, it's all about optics, 100%. I think it's more about optics than money right now. I think you're definitely right, especially for those the older players and the younger players really like the well, younger the players, players don't want to screw themselves over yeah and the older the older players like i mean greg norman's been quoting like oh phil's fans still love him like 89 percent of his fans that's why i think it makes wanna, sense for older players because they're not worried yeah. about their brand exactly. long term as much young guys are really worried about their brand long-term. yeah so i i think it's definitely we're gonna see it's gonna be those you know you've seen the various you know rumors of you know, Poulter and things like that that maybe will go over there just because they're at in the waning years of their career 
So I, I think you got a really good point. You're going to see it's going to be that. that yeah, do you think gonna uh, be a, it's going to be a slightly younger champions? Yeah. Aside from the social aspect, I think the Saudi league can succeed. It's just it's probably it doesn't feel like it's going to draw in the players that it needs to financially succeed for years to come. So I think that wraps up our discussion on the Saudi league. We'll be back in a sec to talk about our favorite playing formats in the golf course. All right, in the week of the WGC Technologies, Dell Technologies match play, we're going to pass it around to the guys to see what our favorite formats, alternate formats are to play on the golf course. Let's start it off with Josh. Yeah, so I, I think my favorite format is four ball, which is essentially a 2v2 match play. I, I just love the aspect of playing with a partner and being able to kind of go back and forth. And if I hit a bad drive, he can pick me up, vice versa. We can mull over putts and strategy on the greens and try and read everything and it, it just creates a, a much more like team environment, which is kind of cool to mix it up from just the individual stroke play. So definitely uh, probably my favorite format to play out on the course. And we play that a lot, but I think the one change that we're talking about making is that when we do handicaps, rather than a two-man team giving another two-man team like, I don't know, five shots a side, you try to segment it by golfer. So if one guy's a 10 handicap and one guy's a 20, the 20 actually gets more because I feel like a lot of the times we play, we give a few shots, but then maybe the higher handicap feels like he's not contributing at all. So if we do a little bit more of a staggered system, we'll probably be way yeah, better so, off. So and ben I promise you're always contributing on the team here. Yeah, Ben pretty much sets the handicap, and so everybody's handicap is how many strokes they get from him. So, you know, he's a zero or whatever. So a 14 gets 14 strokes regardless of whether he's on his team or not just to kind of level it out so it's not just Ben against yeah, I look forward to us kind of, it's always like a negotiation for us to figure out how many strokes we're giving each other, but I look forward to us kind of setting like more standard handicaps every time we play. We know how much each other's are getting. It is kind of funny. We go out there and we just say, hey, like, we'll give you four aside and we'll just see It's a barter. It, it ends up like being pretty close. It's that we've never had too many like blowouts where it's just like, wow, we really miscalculated that. I don't no know. Tiger nine and eights. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No Tiger nine and eights. Yeah, we always do that thing where when you start the back nine, if we gave you four shots in the front, we beat you two up, then we give you six in the back. I hate that because we always get obliterated on the back nine. Just the way we drew it up, right, Colin? <laughs> That's right. Tully and I are famous for that move. <laughs> so outside of four ball, Tyler, what do you like? Yeah, one thing I like playing, I mean, first off, I really prefer to play my own ball just so I can kind of see. Play by myself. <laughs> Not by myself. <laughs> What's your favorite friends. format? No, but I mean, my preference is to see just because I want to gauge how I'm doing, if I'm improving, whatever it is. Um, but obviously playing games is a lot of fun. So one of the ones that I would like, um, the way I look at it is maybe if we've already played 18 and we're trying to get out there for a second 18 and take it a little light, um, pair it up and do a little alternating shot. Um, it's a two-man, 2v2 format. Um, you're just, just like, just like it sounds, you got one guy on your team that hits the drive. The opposite player is going to take the second shot. Uh, I really like that format just because the pressure of it, um, you're, you're kind of strategizing a little bit with your partner, but say your partner smokes a drive down the middle of the fairway and you're expected to put it on the green, just that pressure of you to just not want to let your, the, your partner down that just hit a beautiful shot. And then you have the pressure and it's like, Oh, I missed the green. And your partner's like, Hey, I got you, buddy. No worries. Chips it closed. You put it in, make par. I just think it's a lot of fun really get to bond with your partner during it uh, i just think it's a lot of fun format to play i think you also set your standards really high when you're playing alternate shots so if you're 150 yards out in the fairway 
like an you know an average fifty handicap is probably only hitting the green like less than fifty percent of the time, right? But when you're playing Way alternate less. shot, like you're really you're really feeling like I feel like you're focused a little bit more too. Like you're trying to put it to ten feet for a birdie, not to get it up around the green to get up and down for par. You really have a lot of weight on your shoulders. And like I always say, when you play alternate shot, you should never say sorry. That's my motto because when you're <laughs> playing with your partner, it can always pick you up. Yeah, definitely something I don't think we've ever done. Or it's been a while, at least, that since the last time I played it. That would be fascinating to see how that could end up. I mean, you get some pretty crazy shots, guys having to play out of some tall grass or hit some crazy recovery shots like we're talking about with the match play this week. But definitely an interesting format to explore. I would love to try it sometime. I just My only thing with alternate shot is you pay to play a course and you're only hitting half the shot it is true you gotta yeah, do it in like a cheap course thing. Yeah. yeah like that could be something that'd be a lot of fun this year on our trip if we got a replay rate at a Better. discounted uh, cost and then yeah we, we just got to pair it up our one golfers with Better. our 12 golfer and you just see it going back and forth i think i think that could be a lot of fun <laughs> Nice. So then, Tully, what's your favorite format? I absolutely love the game of skins. I mean, me too. I make it, a lot of money when it, I play skins. I, I can't say I get that same experience. You know, it gives, <laughs> it gives me all the fun of betting on the PGA Tour with the amount of success I've also had betting on the PGA Tour in terms of making no money. But it, it kind of gives you that fun sort of match play thing where like every every hole gives you an opportunity to win win a skin, and depending on how you're playing it, you can also win skins because you chipped in, you made it, you got up and down out of the sand, whatever it is. If you have like a big group doing it, you you know, on any given hole, you're looking at so many different people that, you know, if no one actually wins, like, because if you have three people that par, that skin just carries over. So you can just all of a sudden get so lucky and you just won like eight skins because you lucked into a birdie. And we've always played it kind of handicapped as well. So just because I suck at golf and I got a, I got a, you know, a triple bogey, but, you know, I'm horrible and I got two strokes on this hole somehow. And now all of a sudden I won the whole fucking hole with a bogey sort of situation because it was a bitch of a hole. I think one of the the biggest barriers to entry about golf is like, it's always so predicated on what your 18 hole score is, but a game like skins, if we can find a way to introduce that to new golfers and really right, it, it makes it single hole based. So, you know, if, even if you got and shoot a hundred, but you had a couple pars and all of a sudden you're winning like nine skins because of carryovers, you just, it's such a more enjoyable experience. Yeah. It, the only time I played skins with Ben's dad, I got a net Eagle on the first hole. Cause I, I literally a par five at, um, and part it. Yeah. At, at and I part it. Yeah. And then I just, then I got to the course at the, or I got to the clubhouse at the end. He's like, you owe us $30. $37. He's <laughs> the only one the one oh yeah. But the carryovers are huge. Eagle on the first it is kind of a game. It's definitely a fun gambling game too, because when you get into the clubhouse, e- I mean you could have played a round of your life and you just get screwed <laughs> on the holes that you played really Always good. Or you could play really, really bad and have like a couple good holes and you clean up. Yeah, it's great because like I said, you know, it's if you have we do it on our golf trip, we have twelve people. You don't know if you want a skin or not because there's two different groups that are playing outside of yours. And there could be four people that got birdies somehow, and you just don't even know. Isn't that kind of like the the beauty and the challenge, too, is like you have like a 15-foot bogey putt, and you get a stroke on that hole. You know, that 15-foot bogey putt, normally, you're you're trying to make it kind of like the match play we're talking about this week. But then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, there's this like 2% chance that a par wins this hole, and I get a bunch of carryovers. So you're really trying to make that way more than you are in a normal round. Yeah, you don't have to care as much, you know, like, you can take those risks, like, kind of like we mentioned earlier. Yeah, take a hole off. Yeah. And can you define the typical skins, like an up and down? Like, what are, like, the five or six things that you usually look at in a skins match? Well, so, yeah, so skins traditionally is just whoever gets the lowest score out of all the group on that hole wins that hole. If there are carryovers, you win that hole. But then we also play with, like, junk and stuff like that. So it makes, and once again, making the game more fun and why we should introduce these kind of alternate scoring formats to new golfers. But 
Like if you get in the like bunker, sand yeah. One, right? If you get in the bunker on a hole and you make a par out of the sand, like that's a sandy. If you if you make a birdie, if you know that uh, people do stuff like if you hit it in the trees or you hit wood, you get like a woody or something like that. Yeah, like it's do. just fun stuff. Yeah, like, it's also like you know you hit a green in regulation or it's closest to the pin on the par threes, but you got to make a par to get your skin. Or you can make a birdie and trump someone else. I mean, it's cool to add in a lot of different aspects like that too. So you're kind of always in play for something. Yep, I agree. Find like our like are the uh, the BPO like typical skin for this like this uh, for this year or something like actually play like some. Well, I think like we got when we got this Friday. I think we're probably going to play yeah. like one of the more lower mid range courses. If we can get a good deal this Friday, we got to try skins or some other alternate yeah. alternating shot might even be really fun too. Be fun there. We've played there enough times. Oh, fuck. Nice. So, uh, yeah, skins is great. What about you, Colin? What do you like? Yeah, so I'm I'm on board with uh, Dub and Tyler about playing your own ball. I think that's great. But uh, especially if I'm hungover, I'm a little tired. Uh, I like a good Florida scramble. So, for those who don't know how to play Florida scramble, which is seems to be our entire group every time I bring it up, even though I explain it every time. <laughs> Lots Wait, of cheating. Lots of cheating. Florida scramble is everyone hits a tee shot and you take the best tee shot, um, and everyone plays their own ball out from there. So. Uh, let's say three of us hit it into the woods and one person puts it right down the middle of the fairway. We all pick up our ball and we bring it to that where the middle in the middle of the fairway where that first person hit it. And then we all play our ball out from there. On par fives, you get the first two shots as a scramble and then par threes, you're on your own. So what, What's the rule on fluffing in a Florida scramble? Oh, you can fluff. We all fluff it all the time. <laughs> Big fluff. Highly but encouraged. But then Florida scramble is, is also like a, a 4v4v4 v4 format versus some of the other ones we talked about are just 2v2. So you got to have a quite, quite a few guys to play Florida scramble. But I agree, like... How do we make golf more fun and less penalizing when you hit one bad shot? And Florida scramble is a great way of doing that. Right. Golf can be so frustrating when you're hitting three out of the woods and you still have 200 yards left and you just know you're not going to score. So uh, Florida scramble is a good mix of playing your own ball and still being able to be in a good position off the tee. And Ben, to your point, you can play Florida scramble 2v2. Two, two two. It's actually That's true. Fun. That is fun. I agree. Kenny, how about you? What's your favorite format? I mean, I think anything scramble is fun. I, I always like the Sunday uh, scrambles at our golf trip when we just have like 16 guys there and I'm just paired with Ben and I get to, I have 300 yard drives piped down the middle <laughs> and I have like, I have like, I think out of like, if we have, uh, I don't know, like 80 shots out there, I have like three of them are mine. It's incredible. Yeah, so we, like Colin's point, like you don't always have to play Florida scramble with 4v4, you can play 2v2, just like in scramble here. So when we do this on the golf trip every once in a while, it's always like our round where we're playing the course that's not that expensive and more of like a municipal course. It's our recovery round. And we always tend to play like, we, we kind of always play like a tee up too. Like we might play like the, not the men's tees, but the, tee, the tees between the tips and the men's. But then in the scramble, we go all the way up to the short tees. And yeah, like for Dub and I, when we hit the ball like 300 yards off the tee, most of these par fours are like borderline drivable. So we got a bunch of, if, if we're like the first group, we got a bunch of old men looking back at us the whole entire day. Yeah. One of my favorite memories from the uh, uh, one of those Sunday scrambles was, I think it was, we were up in the Poconos. I think me, Ken, and Ben were all on the same team. And we ended up taking some drive that was, you know, in the rough or whatever, par five. And Ben ben pulls out driver off the deck, hits it over the trees behind, well, behind the green. <laughs> the box. He puts it on the next tee box with the group, which luckily was with us, and just... Puts it just like right in the perfect spot for his next. Yeah, and shot. I'm pretty sure we played from there because the lie was just so nice. <laughs> it was the T box. It was unbelievable. If you put the word scramble in, I like the Florida scramble too. If you put the word scramble in it, I'm in. I agree. And then to round us out, I have another format. It's called Wolf. It's a pretty fun format Wolf. when you only have three guys. Like that's such an odd number to have. Usually it's you're, you're two guys and maybe you get paired up with another two for a foursome where you have a full foursome. But in Wolf in a three three person format, it's really fun. Uh, you kind of rotate who owns the tee. 
Uh, so there's 18 holes, so each player gets to lead off or own a hole six times. You know, to start off the hole, uh, you watch the guys hit their drives and either say, hey, I'm partnering up with them to try and beat the other guy, or you play by yourself and you get more points based on if you play by yourself, play with someone else. It's just, uh, I think you'll see a lot of PGA Tour players talk about playing Wolf. It's a really, like, it's a very risky game because it does have, like, that gambling aspect to it. So mm-hmm. I walk up to a tee and I say, I'm going lone Wolf. I'm going to say, I'm trying to beat oh, the other two guys. And if I do, I'm going to get like three or four points. And if I uh, if I team up with someone else and we beat the other guy, then we just get one point apiece. So lots of gambling. And it also is a, it's a you can, uh, if you're playing really well, you can make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely fun. We've played it a couple times on the golf trip when we have had those replay rounds where some people are aggressively on the, no, I can't do another round. I've had too long of a day. And then we've got just the random threesome that wants to go out and play. I think you introduced us to it maybe like what three, four years ago. And it's just a hell of a time. It's 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 always an adventure. It is really Wolf. fun. So if you're ever going out and you just have two other guys or two other people and you got a threesome, look up how to play Wolf. That does it for it today. Thanks for joining us. A really fun segment. Bango, uh, bango, bongo. Yeah, bingo, bingo, bongo is also another good one. <laughs> If you haven't yet, go follow us on Instagram at Big Players Only Pod. Uh, thanks for being here today. Let us know your favorite games. Shoot us a message. Come yeah, on. Yeah, message us, comment. Email at coheed at gmail.com. Shout out, Coheed. <laughs> See you guys.